welcome to Church in the Valley, Alhambra. That's the wrong chord. Welcome to uh, welcome to church. We're so glad that you're here on this uh, cloudy ish day. We're gonna we're gonna keep on praying that the Lord keeps the rain from coming down on us. Um, and you know, for some of us getting baptized today, though the the wetness is going to be something that happens anyway. So we're glad that you guys are here to celebrate um, Sunday as well as to celebrate just um, some of our friends getting baptized and showing that they have dedicated their life to Christ. Um, it is a happy day, and so we're going to sing of this happy day. Would you join with us um, as we continue to sing? You can find the lyrics online at uh, civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday on your phone or a hard copy over there. Once again, if you're guests, thanks for visiting um, as well. Again, civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. Right, we're going to go ahead and get started. Oh 
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Church in the Valley. We are so glad that you are here to join us, whether that's here in person or online. In case you don't know me, my name is Jonathan Rickert, and I help out around here at Church in the Valley. Just want to welcome you. First of all, want to let you know that if you are looking for music lyrics, if you're hoping to find some sermon notes, you can either go to www.civalhambra.com Sunday, or if you like physical copies, Go ahead and get up. Go over to this blue table right over here. We have copies of those that you can pick up. And also, if you're a guest with us, we really just want to thank you for joining us this morning. We have a book, a gift for you. It's called How Good is Good Enough. And you can pick that up over at the name tag table. So just over there at the two blue tables, that's the best place to go and get the resources that you may want this morning. Or you can find them online. Now, as Victor mentioned earlier, we have something awesome that we get to celebrate today. We get to celebrate baptism with a bunch of people who've decided that they want to follow Jesus as Lord of their lives. Yeah, be excited, guys. This is great. So today, after service at 1030, we really encourage you to stick around. We're going to be having baptism right over here at the pool, in case you didn't see that on your way in. And uh, so we really encourage you to come and just celebrate with those who have made that decision. Now, next Sunday is Daylight Savings Time. That's March 14th. So do not forget to change your clocks unless your clocks automatically change themselves. So, and that's where we're moving the clock forward one hour. So you want to get up at an hour earlier. I don't know, I can't even say. You're for an hour. Now, next Sunday, we also have something else happening, which is we are changing our service time from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And that's going to be going forward unless it gets too hot in the summer and we need to change it back. But so for starting next week, we are going to be meeting here at 10 a.m. So if you happen to forget to change your clock, don't worry. Come at 9 a.m. It'll actually be 10 a.m. and you'll be right on time. So again, next week, the time changes for everyone and the time changes for our service here as well. Now, also, we are starting a new message series this Sunday called Being the Church. Neil's gonna, Neil Walker is going to be leading us out. That series is going to be a two-week series this week and then also on March 21st. And as part of that series, what we're talking about is what it means to be the church and how we can engage and really follow the mission that God has given us forward. Now, at, here at Church in the Valley, something that we do every year is that we encourage our members to, we have our membership sign up every year. So this year, we're going to be doing that on March 21st and March 28th of, of this month, of March. We're going to be doing our membership renewal. So if you're a member, if you're interested in becoming a member, you can just mark that on, connection, on your connection card. If you are a member, those are going to be the weeks to re-sign up. And then also on March 21st, from 4.30 to 6, we are going to be having the Lord's Supper here at Church in the Valley. So we're going to be having it here in the, in the courtyard. Child care will be provided for that. And what the Lord's Supper is, it's a time for everyone who's made, decided to make Jesus the boss of their life. It's a time to come together and remember and celebrate the sacrifice he made and the joy that we can have uh, in being his children. So again, that's going to be March 21st from 4.30 to 6. You can sign up your connection card. Now, I just gave you a lot of dates and a lot of times, maybe a little bit confusing. If you just go to our website, civalhambra.com, you will find this information on there. So I encourage you to do that just in case it got a little confusing. So we're going to go ahead and have another song, and then we're going to welcome Neil up to speak to us this morning. Thanks, John. Just now with us, we continue to sing. 
this chorus that it is well with our souls, um, especially for those of us who have put our you know, faith in Christ. That is true, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what happens. So just sing with us.
exalt you. You're the giver of all good things. You are the creator of our souls and of this universe. No mind could comprehend your thoughts or your ways or your entire greatness, God. And so we live to exalt you. We live to magnify your name. And I pray that that would be something that we remember throughout the week. That would be true of our lives. And as a church, that that would be our vision and our goal to exalt and glorify the name of God. And so we love you and we ask that the message would penetrate our ears and rest in our hearts. And thank you, Jesus. And we ask us all in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome, Neil. Grab this. Well, welcome. Glad to uh, be with you guys this morning. Thanks, Dottie. Um, we're going to be looking, as John said, um, at being the church this morning. That's going to be kind of the topic um, that we're starting with. It'll be a two-part uh, this week and then on the 21st. And the purpose is for you to get to know a bit more about the church in general and to get to know quite a bit more about uh, like Church in the Valley. And, and as he mentioned, one of the things we do each year is we have kind of a um, membership renewal. And basically what that is, it's just a way for members to be reminded of, okay, yeah, this is what we're about. And for them to kind of say, yeah, you know, that, that's what I want to be about here again. And so we, we do that each year. And so that's what, we're, that's what the backdrop for this time is for us to talk a little bit more about, okay, what does that look like and what does that mean? So hopefully this will be helpful to you. Today, a common usage of the word church, I mean, it's used in a lot of different terms. I mean, people will talk about church, like, I'm going to the church or, you know, this happened over here, that, a lot of different uses for it. But the common usage for church refers to Christians who are organized and around and share a common structure. That's kind of the, the overall. Now, the idea of church was something that was born in the very first century. Not this idea of church, but the idea of church that Jesus had was born in the very first century. There was a group of his followers that had come around and they come to Jesus one day and Jesus says, he asked, you know, two questions to them. First question, he said, Guys, who do men say that I am? And they said, wow. Um, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, some say you're Elijah. Uh, some say you're Jeremiah or another prophet. And then he asked a very penetrating question to Peter. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus steps back and he says this in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I also say to you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overpower it. Now, he says to Peter, first of all, he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but your father who's in heaven. And then he makes this comment, I will build my church. Now, the proclamation that, you know, a lot of times people look at that and think, is, is Jesus building the church on Peter? No, 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 he's not. He's building upon the proclamation that Peter made. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the son of God. And it's upon that proclamation that he builds his church. And the word that Jesus uses for church here is a very interesting word. In fact, if you do much study on this, you find out that the word is not translated to church. That's a word that was substituted into scripture at one point later on in, 
in the centuries. Um, the word that is used is the word ecclesia. And the word actually means a gathering. It's a secular term. It means a called out gathering for a purpose. Now, this was often used of like city council citizens that met together for a council meeting. That's what this is. And when Jesus picks a term of what he wants the church to be today, the term he uses is ecclesia. It's his ecclesia. We are called out and organized around Jesus's mission, his purpose for us. So then the very good question to start with, well, what is Jesus's mission and purpose for us as a church? And what you find is it's really threefold. One is we, we are to live our lives to really worship and glorify him. Now, as you, as you study in scripture, what you find is the word glorify really means to reveal him. So we're to live our lives in such a way that people get a clear understanding of this is who God is and this is what he's about. And when you look at worship, you find that, you know, what we did a minute ago, I mean, boy, that's present in scripture. Uh, and we should sing, and it's a great thing, and especially corporate singing, that's a good thing. But what you also find in scripture is around like Romans 12, 1 and 2, that New Testament worship is you live a life of obedience to Christ. So that's what that's about. So the first thing is we worship and glorify him. The second thing is we help others to come to begin a relationship with Christ. We help others step into a relationship. They may be a long ways off. They may be fairly close, but we help them to begin a relationship with Christ. And the third one is we help those who know him to grow to maturity. Now, why? Well, Peter again says this in, in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, and now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Note there for a second, what were we once? Not a people. He says, once you, you, you didn't, once this thing, the church did not even exist. Once you were not a people. He says, but now, now you are the people of God. And so he wants us to get our minds wrapped around this. We are those who are called out and organized around Jesus's mission and his purpose for us. And you know, everybody longs for that. Everybody longs for community inside. They want to feel close to a group of people. They want to feel like they really matter to a group of people. They, and all of us have, have tasted of that or have caught glimpses of that over time. But what we really long for is for that to be a consistent reality in our lives. The primary basis, what you're going to find for community is not ethnicity. A lot of times people try to build you know, community around that. That, that doesn't work. Or it's not politics. We know that doesn't work. Uh, you know, socioeconomic status, that, that, that doesn't work. You know, your, your job or your major or something. No, that, you can't build community around that. You can build some. Community is built around a relationship with Christ. That's what community is built around. The secondary basis of community is the ecclesia, the called out gathering that you have joined with. And so characteristics of community are, are really simple. It ought to be a place where you know others and you're known by them, 
where you love others and you're loved by them, where you serve others and you're served by them, and where you celebrate others and you're celebrated by them. So let's talk a little bit about membership now and, and talk about how does that all fit in. Sometimes the word membership conjures up things in our minds that, you know, we kind of go with and we think, yeah, that, that must be kind of what that's about. Like today, people are members of all kinds of different clubs and organizations. Like you may hold membership in like the Kiwanis or Rotary or Lions or whatever, you know, all of those are bound together by common interest, by activities. Participation is kind of optional. By paying dues, you can become members of other organizations like Costco. Not a bad thing. Um, but, you know, different things like that where you get different per perks and things like that. But those examples of membership differ a lot from the New Testament understanding of membership. This concept of membership that we think of a lot of times today is too often associated with an approach to the Christian life that grants a person all the perks of being a believer, but few or very little responsibilities. The church, though, is not a club where you reap certain benefits, and, and, but rather what it is is this. It's a set of relationships of mutual encouragement, spiritual accountability, in which we partner with one another to advance the gospel here on earth. It's a set of relationships of mutual encouragement and spiritual accountability where we partner with one another to advance the gospel here on earth. Now, church membership, what it does is it affiliates a believer with a specific local congregation, a set of called out people. To be a member simply means three things for an individual. It means that that individual is identified with this group. They are accountable to that group and they are a contributing participation a participant to the local expression of the body of Christ right there. So with membership, there are certain commitments that are made, there are responsibilities that are embraced, and there are relationships that are acknowledged. Let me, let me repeat that again for you. With membership, there are certain commitments that are made, responsibilities that are embraced, and relationships that are acknowledged. So membership in a local church, therefore, is the way in which the individual is known to be intentionally committed to each person there within the fellowship and know that each person there within the fellowship is committed to them. That's really what membership is about. Now, the original meaning of the word member, when you hear member, like when it started off like in, in church settings, they talk about being a member of the body. There, they're talking about a specific thing. Like, you know, they'll talk about the hand. They'll talk about the ear, the eye, you know, your different parts of your members. It, it's really important that those things don't just go out individually. You know, that doesn't work well. If all of a sudden you woke up and, you know, what happened to my hands? They decided that they're a part of the universal body. They don't really need to be a part of your particular body. It's like, no, that doesn't work well. You know, you want things to, in your body to be there, you know, and that's exactly what this is about. You know, we want to make sure that we stick together. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks like this. He gives a word picture that kind of talks about the body. He says in 12, 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Then in verse 18, he says, 
But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, there would, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then in verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. In addition to the body, the church is also described in scripture, like in, in Acts 20, 28, it's talked about, you know, it's the flock. It's the flock of God. Or in 1 Peter 2, 5, he talks about we're like a building that is, uh, you know, put together. We are, we are the building blocks that put the body together, put the building together. Each of these is very vital for us to get an understanding of the church. And we understand from each of those, it demands more than just a casual commitment from us. Like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm kind of a member there, you know, there, Costco, you know, Lions Club. No, it's, it's different than that. You know, we want to be committed. So membership is not one of those things. When you dig into scripture, if you're looking for the verse that says something like, you need to be a member of, you won't find that just like many things in Scripture. What you do is you look into Scripture and see it. What you find is it is implied clearly through other things that are stated in Scripture. Let's, let's look at a few of those passages. One of them, um, the Bible requires Christians to be submitted to a group of church leaders. So you see that in like 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 12 and 13. Like in Hebrews 13, 17, he says this, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them as those who keep watch over your soul. And let them do that with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You look right there and what you see is, you know, there are leaders. If you don't know that you're a part of it, who are your leaders? You know, if you're sitting there and says, Obey your leaders. You go, I don't have leaders. Well, you need to have I mean, the very thing he's saying here is you need to be a part of something where you have people that you're listening to. And we'll talk about a little bit more about what he, why that is. One of the reasons he gives right there, they're the ones who keep watch over your soul. They will give an account. And did you notice the last part right there? Um, he says, let them do this with joy and not with grief. Do you know it's possible to follow leadership and not do it the right way. You ought to follow leadership in such a way that you make it a joy for the people that are leading you. In fact, he says, it's not going to help you. He says, this would be unprofitable for you, for you to be a pain to the people that are trying to lead you. He says, no, 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 no. You don't want to do that. But you need to be able to recognize your leaders. Let me give you an illustration from marriage. Like, if I tell Melinda, you know, Melinda... I think we ought to do this. We're going to go do this. You know, Melinda would probably, I hope, say, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and we would go and we would go do that. Now, on the other hand, if I say, Stacy, by the way, Stacy, uh, here's what I think we ought to do. And we're going to go do this. She would say, hey, hang it on your beak. Uh, and I think, oh, okay. And why is that? Well, I'm not her leader. You know, I mean, she'd simply say, Mark's my leader. What are you doing? I'm, I don't know. Just thought I'd try it. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we need to understand, you know, we need to be able to recognize our leaders. So that's one of the places where church membership is clearly implied. Another place, church membership is implied in the New Testament when it talks about church discipline. In Matthew 18, 15 through 17, he talks about, you know, if you have a brother and, and he's, he's 
stepping out of things, go and talk to him personally. If that doesn't help, then take someone along with you and go and sit down and talk to him and explain things. If he still doesn't listen, bring it before the church and you guys go and talk to him like that. Now, if you're not a part of a church, who are you going to bring it before? Uh, The universal church. No. No, you need to be part of a local fellowship where you're plugged in. Third area, it is implied by the charge that's given to elders. In Acts 20, 28, Paul's, Paul's talking to the leaders that are there in the church in Ephesus, and he says this, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, this verse makes it clear that elders' first responsibility is to a particular flock. But I'd have three questions for you. How are they to know what flock it is they're responsible for? You know, it's kind of like, I am uh, responsible for flocks in general. No, no. That's where membership is employed. Who are the elders and, and, and pastors, you know, um, how, for whom are they going to give an account? How are they to know that? How do they know that it's their flock? See, each of those things implies membership. You begin to look at it, it implies, you know, these people are, it's even clear in like 1 Peter 5. In 1 Peter 5, Peter is speaking to the elders and he says this, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness, nor yet as domineering over those entrusted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So one of the things you see is, you know, we are um, supposed to be shepherding the flock of God among us. Now, everybody I know, you want a church where you are spiritually led, you're biblically fed, and you're lovingly protected. And I assume that you want leaders who not only know you, but who are joyfully committed to keeping watch over your souls and who take serious responsibility to teach you truth and help you to really grow in your understanding and your developing that intimate relationship with God. We all want that. But part of that is we joined together for that. Now, for some churches, the, the, the measure of membership is really attendance. Kind of like if you show up, you're a member. Now, that's not necessarily bad, and, and, and there's a place for that, for sure. But you and I both know the problem with that. There's some people, and you may know them. I mean, I've, I've seen that person in the mirror several times. You know what? You know people that have attended church for years and are very little different now than they were when they first started. So the idea of just attending being something that changes you. Not true. It requires more than attendance. And that's what we think here at Church in the Valley. It requires more than attendance. It requires engagement. You need to be engaged in what God has called us to. So that's what we're going to cover in the remainder of our time here today. And then next uh, time on the 21st is what does engagement look like? And, And really what we've tried to do is we've identified four areas. Be encouraged. I'm only covering two. So, you know, engagement. Now, the things we're going to look at this week, they're not things we just came up with. I mean, we didn't just sit around, what do you think this ought to be? No. 
These were things we just go to Scripture and look and see, okay, what does Scripture talk about? How does it design things? How does it lay things out so we can do that? So these are clearly things you see in God's Word. It's also, it's not like these are things that you should do just if you're a member of this body. Now, I'm always amused by that sometimes. People will be like, well, as they're shopping for churches, they'll be out like, well, I don't know that I like that, and I, I, I would like two from that aisle and uh, one from this aisle, and, you know, and they kind of want to have this Burger King kind of understanding of things. I'd like it my way, you know, and, and it's like, no, 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 no. We simply go to God's Word, and what we find is, as you look at these things, we're responsible for these things simply because we have chosen to be followers of Jesus. Simply because we've chosen to be his followers, we have chosen to be committed to these. Now, let me say quickly, because I know there's some people right now, they're, oh, um, I'm not saying in any ways these are determinative of your salvation. No, that was paid for through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that is secure. This is definitely determinative, though, of your maturing, and it's definitely determinative, though, of, of your ministry. So if you would like to mature and you'd like to have a ministry, well, then one of the things you have to do is really step in and engage in the very things that God says will make that possible. For so many men and women, I guarantee you, um, especially you'll find this out as you as you grow older, um, you'll find out that there are people that they begin to develop kind of this, eh, I just don't know that, you know, the Christian life is, is, is really helping me enough. And if you begin to probe that a little bit and you begin to check in, what they really mean is, I don't think my version of the Christian life is really that doing that well. And that's really true. Because oftentimes what you find, they've not chosen to be engaged in the very thing that God says, this will give you life. This will give you purpose. This will give you meaning. Step into these things. And so that's what we want to begin to look at. Now, the first one that we're going to look at is connecting. Connecting. One of the very first things you need to do when it comes to engagement is connect. Connect with other people. And by that, what I'm talking about is you don't want to try to just walk with Jesus by yourself. And that, that never, never goes well. As maturing believers, one of the things you want to do is you want to take responsibility for your spiritual growth. To do that, you have to take initiative. And by that, what I mean is this. To grow spiritually, you have to be connected relationally. To grow spiritually, you have to be connected relationally. And you may think, well, wait a minute. Can't you just grow by yourself? Mm, no. You can grow in knowledge. And, you know, as Paul talks about with the Corinthians, what that will do is make you arrogant. Because you all know people like that. I mean, they can sit around and they can, you know, talk about the Bible or quote things all day long. And they are just mean as snakes. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, it's because they have knowledge. But you know what? As Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. See, I could study patience all day long. 
I could, uh, you know, read books on patience. I, I could look at everything the scriptures have to say on patience. Do you know where patience is really worked out? In the laboratory of relationships. And the same thing's true about love. And the same thing's true about kindness. And the same thing's true about self-control. And the same thing's true about all the one another's in scripture. You find out whether you're really growing in those things. You find out if you really have those as part of your life when you're in community. It's also in community that people call those things out. I mean, that's one of the reasons you don't want to live alone, okay? I'll just be straight up with you. When you live alone, you think what you're doing is normal. You live with other people and they say, good night, you're crazy. You know, and you're like, oh, I never knew I was crazy. Well, of course not. You were only listening to you. You know, so you want to be where, you know, you actually have some other relationships. Things are going on there. Groups are a place where people have the opportunity to pursue authentic community and spiritual growth. So one of the things you want to do as a member, you want to plug in to a group. Now, what happens in groups? You know, I know people sometimes are like, I don't know what goes on in groups. I mean, you know, do they sacrifice cats? Um, probably ought to, but that's not what we do. Um, let me tell you, here's what goes on in groups. It's just so you know, some things that go on. One, you develop friendship circles. You begin to develop friendship circles. You have much more involvement in one another's lives. Second, you discover more of your gifts and your strengths. Oftentimes I see people and they go, I really want to know my spiritual gifts. And I think, get involved in community. Well, how are you going to know them? People will tell you. They'll call those things out. They'll also call out things that aren't your gifts that you may think are. You know, if I went up here one day and I said, Victor, thank you. I've decided to join the band. It wouldn't take long where you all would go, Neil, not your gift, not your gift. Sit far back. Uh, you know, I mean, just don't do that. You know why? Well, that's, you know, they call that out. Third thing, you learn to replace lies with the truth. As we talked about a minute ago, who do you think you tend to listen to the most when you're alone? You. Yeah. Have you noticed that? I mean, when you're by yourself, you run all sorts of things through your head, many of which I would wager are not true. That's why we have a lot of people that are depressed today or they're confused or they're just frustrated. But when you're in a group, people can say, hey, you know what? That's not right. I mean, you're thinking about that like this, but this is really what's right. And they're, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And they can begin to see things. So, you know, you get help. You can learn to replace lies with the truth in your life. Fourth thing, you get to really look at a passage and see how it practically works its way out in your life. You have more time. I mean, I would love if, you know, it was kind of like this. And, you know, as we spoke, somebody goes, I got a question about that. You know, that could be here till three o'clock in the afternoon, though. And then all of you'd be going, I don't know about that, you know. So it's one of those things in a small group, you've got time to do that. There's fewer people. You can look at a passage. Another thing, you gain accountability. Often that's the key to real progress in your walk with God. You gain accountability. Another thing, you get a chance to know and really be known by people. And men and women, what I would submit to you is this. One of your greatest needs today is not to know more, but it's to be known more. It's to be known by other people who, who really can, 
can know you and can speak into your life. Another thing, you get a chance to encourage and be encouraged. In Hebrews 3.13, the author of Hebrews says, encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Boy, sin can step into our lives and kind of convince us that this is, man, this is how it is. Or boy, you know, our leaders don't know this. Or these people over here, they must not have thought of this. And it can convince us of all kinds of things. And yet when you live life together and you're connected, people can say, hey, that, that, that's not true. Boy, this is what is true. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can remind ourselves and we can be encouraged and we can stay from getting sucked in to the, to the paths of sin. Now, another thing, you get to practice the one another's. You know there's over 50 one another's in Scripture? You get a chance, I mean, encourage one another, love one another, help one another, you know, pray for one another. There's so many one another's in Scripture, ways that we are to be relating as a body. You get a chance to practice those in a group. And lastly, you get a chance to see God come through in the lives of people again and again and again. And as you do, your confidence in God grows. And as your confidence in God grows, you begin to trust him more. And so you begin to do what he says and obey him because you trust him. And then you begin to mature. So connecting is essential. So one fantastic thing that you can begin to do to experience the life that God wants for you is get involved with a group. You know, if, if, you're, um, if you're a student now, if you're a student here, like say from SC, what I would encourage you, get involved like in a life group. I would encourage you to get involved like in Freshman Connection. Get involved with a group there. Why? Right there are the folks that you're around all the time. Right there is kind of your pool. That's what you want to do. If you're already graduated or you're in the workforce and stuff like that, get involved in a community group. Because as you do and as you begin to walk with them, what you'll find is God reshapes your life and he really changes you from the inside out. So the second thing, we need to move on to number two. The second thing, serving. Serving. One of the chief ways that we reflect God to others is to serve. When you serve, it not only changes your life, it really helps others and changes theirs as well. Now, you know, when Jesus wanted to show us what was the heart of God and what is God really like? If you look at Philippians 2, it says when Jesus wanted to do that, he took on the form of a servant. Why? Because that's God's heart. God loves to serve. And so that's what we want to see is that that's when we're trying to live life, to reveal him to others, to glorify him, we need to live lives of service. The Greek word in the New Testament that is often translated ministry is this word um, diakon, diakonii, diakonii, nei, yeah, diakonii. And it is a word that means, when it's really translated, it means service. It means you serve. It can refer to things like you see in Acts 6, uh, as simple as waiting tables, or it can refer to things you see like in Acts 20, 24, sharing the gospel. It can be either one. Both of those are considered acts of service. Both of those are considered ministry when you look in Scripture. And there's three basic arenas in which we're called to serve. 
One would be uh, the church. The second would be our home. And the third would be the world. And so like within the church, when it's talking about serving in the church, what that really represents is not only things we do as we gather here each Sunday. Now, there are many things to do as we gather here. But it's not just talking about that, but it's talking about things we specifically do with and for other believers. So when you look in Scripture, you find, okay, we ought to be serving in such a way that we're doing things with and for other believers here gathering together and then as we're spread out and and in different spots. The second area is the area of home. There refers to things we do to serve our family. There are many things. I'll tell you what, you know, moms are just all the time looking for ways to serve their kids, to serve their husbands, to serve the family. Same way with, with parents. Kids are kind of like, yes, please keep it coming. Uh, you know, but oftentimes what we need to do is we need to step in and figure out how can I serve in my home as well? How can I do that? And then in the world, what I'm talking about there is the work we do and the interactions we have that are outside of the explicit Christian context and are with other people and, and with families and stuff like that. So the what we do out there. Now, what we're going to focus on right now in talking about membership is really within the church. How does that work within the church? So we could talk about those others, and God knows we will someday, but we're going to talk about that. What Peter says to this, again, in 1 Peter 4.10, he says, As each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, two insights I would like us to see from that. One, he says, each person that has transferred their trust from themselves and anything they're doing to be right before God and has transferred their trust to him and begun a relationship with him. He says, God has given each one of those persons at least one spiritual gift. You could have two or three. I know several people that, I mean, man, they are just very gifted. That's, you know, I'm kind of like, I've got one, I think, uh, you know, but, you know, natural, I'm not talking here about natural gifts. Like somebody goes, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. I mean, I can throw a fastball. No, I'm not talking about that. Okay. I mean, there are natural gifts and there are spiritual gifts. God does not care about fastballs that much. So trust me. Um, but it's one of those things. It is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives you so that, <clears throat> which is the second insight, we can be helping the body. We can help the body to grow. We are to discover, develop, and deploy the gifts that God's given us. We are to discover, to develop, and to deploy them. So how do do you do that? How do you discover your gifts? Well, the first thing, try a lot of different things. Try a lot of different things. You know, when you're serving in a local church, um, it is a great vehicle to discover what your gifts are and to see, you know, how God has wired you together. And it's so much fun, you know, because as you're doing the many things, what you do is this. Pay attention to some things. Pay attention to what are you good at? What do you really enjoy? What do other people comment on? Begin to look at those. That will help you to begin to discover what your gifts are. You know, over and over and over, you'll find that you know, the way God has wired you uniquely together and the gifts he's given you, you know, you may think, 
Wow, I, I never, I mean, for myself, I'll just give you a, a quick illustration. You know, for myself, I kept finding um, I would be in charge of things sometimes, you know, like, well, most of the time, whenever I would, like, I'd be in a group, and all of a sudden they'd say, Neil will be the leader, and I'd say, I, I don't want to be the leader, good night, I mean, no. And all of a sudden, I began to figure out, as time went on, and I began to look at some things, one of the gifts God had given me was the gift of leadership. And so I needed to step into that. I needed to develop that. And then I needed to put that into practice in, in the relationships that I was in. So, you know, begin to do that. Try many things. You'll begin to discover what your gifts are. Secondly, how do you develop them? Well, one, practice them. Look for opportunities to serve. Look for opportunities to practice your gifts. Another way you develop them, learn from others. You know, if you're someone and maybe you think, wow, I, I think I have, um, <clears throat> you know, more of a gift of serving. Okay, find some other people that seem to be really good at serving and get around them and learn from them. Or maybe you're going along and you think, I think I may have like, you know, some gifts of administration. Okay, you know, get around Jen Rickard. You know, that would be helpful for you. I mean, who else sends Christmas cards out in July? I mean, you know, the girl is organized. I mean, she is like more than organized. She, she organizes her organization. You know, uh, why? Well, because God's wired her that way. You know what? Learn. Learn from people. You know, I mean, you can really do that. Then how do you deploy them? Well, you can strategically serve by using your giftedness to further the mission. You use your giftedness to further the mission. Now, Sundays, Sundays are a key opportunity uh, to serve. You know, it takes a lot to pull off like a portable church and, uh, or portable service anyway, and, and do that. So th there's all sorts of areas that you could plug into there. Look for things like that. Look for things. Okay, how could I do that? But what you also find is God has given a laundry list of gifts in the New Testament ways in which we can begin to really use those to further the mission and to build up the body. He talks about things like teaching, leadership, serving, hospitality, administration, on and on and on to help accomplish that. I would tell you this. I don't think, and this is me, so you, you know, there's not a verse on this. I don't think the list in the New Testament are exclusive. I think they're indicative. And I think that for several reasons. One, I look in like the Old Testament, one of the things I see there is when they start to build the tabernacle, like over in Exodus 31, all of a sudden God says, we need to do this. We need to build this tabernacle. And don't worry. I have given gifts to these people over here. Gifts of being able to design things. Gifts of being able to create these things. Gifts of being able to do woodworking and metalworking and all these things. And you're like, Wow. See, God uses a lot of different gifts. I also see that, like, um, there's some folks I know that are in Florida, and many of them came from, like, accounting backgrounds and things like that, and they were very involved in trying to get the gospel to all of the nations. And then one of the things they kept finding was that many of the people that were out there trying to share the gospel and trying to help people, they kept struggling with financial things and trying to figure it out, and they couldn't, you know, add up things right or get things done. And, and they came together and said, what if we took our gifts and we put those together 
so that we could make it easy for people to be out on the field and get to the field and stay on the field. What if we did that? And they began to use their gifts like that. And as they did, God totally, totally uh, worked through them to help mobilize many people for the mission. So another thing you could do, you know, we had a gal early on when Melinda and I were, were starting um, the ministry over at USC, we had, um, we had four little kids at the time, which if you don't know, four little kids and trying to get something done don't always go well together, you know? And so we were over there. So we had one gal that had graduated and she came around and she said, hey, you know, I was only able to plug in. She'd come like the year we started. She said, I only was able to plug in for a little bit there to the ministry, but I wondered, you know, how can I help? Could I watch the kids on Thursday so Melinda could go over there? We're like, yes. And, uh, you know, and she did. And I mean, Melinda, therefore, was able to go over and be freed up to build into the lives of other gals. And the reason she was, was this gal was willing to step in and serve and use some of her gifts in serving. So look to use your gifts in such a way that it furthers the mission and builds up the body. Let me give you three practical hints and we'll wrap up. Three practical hints on serving. Serving others is a great way to make, an, to make a church feel like your church. If you're a part of church and sometimes you're thinking, well, I just don't feel like it's my church, start serving. When you start serving, you begin to develop relationships. You begin to look around and suddenly the church feels like my church and I want to be a part. Second thing, serving should not just be an activity. It should be a lifestyle. Jesus didn't come to just do some serving things. He came and lived that out because that was part and parcel of who he is. In fact, a lot of times people have this idea, you know, when God comes back, it's going to be kind of like Rambo Jesus, and that's what's going to go. No, no. Um, if you look in Luke 12, 37, what you find is it says, Blessed are those servants whose master will find them watching when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will have them recline at table, will gird himself, and will serve. Why? That's the heart of God. He's a servant. And so serving ought to be part of your lifestyle, just something you go about wherever you are. To that end, let me ask you a question. Because I see this over and over and over in ministry. Do you serve when people ask you to do something? Or do you ask how you can serve? Those are two very different things. See, I know all sorts of guys that will sit right there while girls are carrying things around and tripping over things and loading all these boxes. And if a girl says, excuse me, do you suppose you could get up and help me for a minute? The guy's, oh, yeah. You know, and they'll get up and go do something. But that should be not happening. What should be happening is someone starts to walk in and they say, how can I help? How can I serve? See, one of the ways you can begin to judge where you are maturity-wise, do you ask for ways to serve or do you have to be asked to serve? Those are two totally different things. So beginning to look at that. In wrapping up, I just ask you, you know, if you begin to think about 
how life would be different if we began to just live these two out. Now, we'll hear about the other two here in a couple of weeks, and quite frankly, I'm excited about hearing about them. But if we just live these two out, you would ha- see people experiencing more growth and encouragement. You would also be energized not only by using your gifts, but by seeing other people use theirs in such a way that it really blessed you. And so that's what we need to do. And so what I'd like to encourage you to do, take a minute, take a minute and begin to think through, okay, what would be the next steps that God has for you as you think about serving, as you think about connecting? What are the next steps God has for you as you think about engaging in the ministry that God's called us to be a part of? Let me pray for us and we'll welcome the band back up. Father, thank you for the fact that you didn't just leave us with no blueprint about how to live life or how to really experience the very life that you've called us to live. But Father, you've told us that we can have life and we can have that abundantly as we live out the purpose and plans you have for our lives. So help us to embrace those things. Help us begin to live lives that are engaged in the very things you've called us to. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi. Um, We're going to be singing a song, and um, I just want to help focus our thoughts a little. Um, The more we let God direct our lives, the more we find that out that he is all that we need. He is the treasure, really, that we have been looking for. In the chorus of this song, um, it says, if, if more of you means less of me, take everything. So figure out in your mind the things you need to surrender to God. So you can go more in God's direction. He is more worthy than anything on this earth.
for bringing us here this morning, God, and just thank you so much that you love us. You love all of us, God, and just help us, Father, to see you in our days as we go on this week. God, help us to learn to trust you and go more in your direction. Thank you, God. You are a treasure, and we just thank you so much that we can come to know you and just really walk with you on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, we're going to sing one more song. Um, it's called Holy Water, and it's not like, you know, the regular holy water you usually think of. We're talking about baptism today, and so if you're getting baptized or if you have if you are a child of God and have accepted that grace, I want you guys to sing this out with all that you have, just about the sweetness and the joy of what it's like to be living in the new life Jesus give us. So here we go. Here's the chorus. Like sweet, sweet honey on my lips It's like the sound of a symphony to my ears It's like holy water on my skin Dead man walking Dead man walking, slave to sin Ever really makes me want to change. It's your forgiveness. 
us. Again, baptisms in 19 minutes over there by the pools. We'll see you there.
Josh Mora, he's another one of those guys that is immensely organized. So, <laughs> Josh Mora. Josh, have you committed your life to Jesus Christ for thoughts? I have. What did you do? Generally around freshman uh, That's great. Then I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and the Son.